0: Thank you guys again, man. beautiful. Um, Reminder, again, tonight as we prepare for Candlelight Communion, we just want to encourage you to take maybe just a moment right now, consider maybe a neighbor, a family member, a friend that you might invite to come with you. So right now, let's just pause just for a moment. Let's just pray that maybe somebody you would invite to come with you tonight for Candlelight Communion. Again, it's a time of just celebrating God's Word. um, As different folks will be reading the Christmas story, we'll be singing some songs and then taking the communion. just, Just for a moment, just pause and pray father now whoever you want us to invite i pray that neighbor that family member the friend the coworker, whomever it is god i pray now that you would put it upon our hearts even throughout this message god you would bring that person to our mind i pray we'd be faithful to reach out and invite them and any others that you place upon our heart we pray this for the glory of christ in his name we pray lord amen matthew as we were there a couple of weeks ago walking through the text and now we come here to matthew chapter 2 and I want to begin reading verse 1 of Matthew 2. As Matthew says these words, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. My assumption is that many of you think you know this story pretty well, and maybe you think you know it a little bit better than you actually do. So I want to ask maybe just a couple of questions for a quick internal quiz. As you think about it, how many wise men were there? Think about it just for a moment. How many wise men were there? It's interesting. The text actually, as Ms. Deaton's saying there are right here, the text doesn't tell us. We assume three because of the three gifts, right? But just because you give somebody three gifts doesn't mean I give one person three gifts, right? So we hear the story and we assume there must be three gifts. Historians note that... These folks who are traveling, right, likely would have not have been traveling alone, that they would have had servants. They probably brought their wives, maybe even their children, other donkeys. And so now we can understand how this group that walks into Jerusalem would have created even a larger stir because of the size of the caravan that was coming with them. Second question, when, according to the biblical text, did the wise men visit? Think about it internally, right? You're just kind of surveying how well do they know the story. We usually see, right, we think, that it was the night that Jesus was born. But if you read here, like in verse 11, it says, when they came to the house. And then it says, they saw the child. It uses a different word for that of infant or baby. It indicates a small child. And so the reality is right? And, and some of this is just me, right, internally that I deal with, is that when I see the nativity and I see the wise men there, I'm thinking, dude, that's not exactly right, right? We had this little nativity in our yard, and I keep thinking, I want to put the wise men, like, further up the hill toward the Eacons, right? And think, like, if it was, like, maybe more accurate, like, I need to bring the wise men up and, like, put them in the yard in July, right? I mean, it's just, they don't they don't show up, right? Nonetheless, it just... That's just something for me, right? To kind of deal with. So, but again, maybe we just confess that we don't know this story as well as we think we do, right? Again, you may have rocked both of those out, and 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 I've got a big quiz for you later. But anyway, nonetheless, right? Maybe we might realize today too that if we don't realize or understand how much we actually relate to the people in this story. You've just heard it, and it's just become the story of Matthew chapter two and the wise men and Herod and these chief priests and they go and worship and gold and frankincense and myrrh and and it's just become common to you but i want to caution you today or maybe just just urge you to slow down just to read this story to realize that i think there's one of three responses that's given here in the text one is it's of apathy who cares who cares that he's come Two, there's response of hatred like What's this mean that he's come and what's he got to say about me? And then there's the third response this morning, that of joy. He's come. I want to encourage you this morning. We all struggle with the birth of Christ. For some of you, deep down, you feel like you really don't need him, right? Like you can get to heaven maybe on your own or if there's even a heaven after all, you don't even, not even sure. For others of you, it's just like hatred. It's hatred because the reality is Jesus coming declares that you are sinful and you need forgiveness. You need to change and so you feel like, who's going to tell me what to do? But there's another way and that is, there's hope today that this, joy comes from knowing the one who is not only greater than your treasure, but worthy of it. Joy comes from knowing that there is one who is not only greater than your treasure, he's worthy of it. And He's not coming as a thief to steal it. In fact, He's the one that, will, listen, you and I can willingly, joyfully give what we value most. We can give ourselves to Him. So today, let's set out to see that all should come to worship Him. But the truth is, they don't, right? Because of either apathy or hatred. And that yet, Christ comes that we might experience joy, true joy, by coming to Him. So the text begins in Matthew chapter 2 by compelling all to come and seek him. This is it. Matthew's inviting everyone. Come and seek him. Begin with what Again, back in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw a star when it rose and have come to worship him. Matthew chapter 2, these two opening verses right here are shocking, right? I mean, this is not the way to win friends and influence, influence people, right? Let me say it again. This is not the way to win friends and influence people. Why? Because Matthew writes to a Jewish audience. These guys that are showing up are Gentiles. They are the unclean people, right? They're the people you don't even want to associate and talk to. Like, it's it's imagine this, like as a Kentucky fan, that you hear that U of L is the flagship school of the state and they are the most elite in athletics and academics. Imagine this, that you as a U of L fan, see a Kentucky fan dare to put the L down, right? That's what it is. It's like Matthew's coming out, flashing the Gentile, the big G up in front of all the Jewish people to say, these are the guys that are coming to see Jesus. They're like, not that! No! Not them! It's this beautiful moment, right, of hearing the fact that Jesus has come for everyone, even the outsider. We need to ask, though, what even brings them here today, right? Look at the story just for a moment. It's interesting. Look at verse two. So the wise men show up from the east, coming to Jerusalem. They say, where is he who's been born king of the Jews for? They're going to tell you why they've come, right? Here's the answer for, right? Just a simple word. Again, these are words that help you Interpret and understand the word of God. That's why I'm constantly trying week after week to show you this so you can read it on your own. You can teach it to your family. You can teach it to your friends. You can teach it in our Sunday school classes. Just break it down simply. Slow it down. Look at these key words. So where is he has been king of the Jews for, notice what they say here, we saw what? His star. We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship it. Now listen, if you think that they've shown up just because they've seen a star, you're missing it, right? These guys are astrologers, they study the stars, and, and they've been looking, they've been watching the stars. But notice something specific, again, they say, for we saw his star. Now, what do they mean by this? The truth is, we're not exactly sure, right? What all do the wise men actually know? But maybe this, maybe this morning, we might just assume that they know a little bit. Why? Well, you have to rewind the story, right? Again, you're right. The turn uh, from the the, the the change from A.D., right? Or B.C., before Christ, right there, to A.D., right? And so you're, you're, the transition of time is happening. But if you rewind it back, about 600 B.C., the Jewish people are taken captive by the Babylonians. And they are taken into a land, guess what? To the land of Babylon, to the land of Persia. And you know what direction that is? East. I thought I heard somebody say it. Yeah, it's east guess where these guys come from wise men from the what east well what happens when when the Babylon or the people are taken into Babylonian exile they are taken there and some of the most important people right they are taken and they're taken to put in places of power you heard about this in the book of Daniel you heard about guys like Daniel and Shadrach who else Meshach, Abednego, right? You saw how these guys stood faithful and said, we will not bow. Listen, we will not bow to you. And they went in the furnace and God, the fourth, like a son of man, shows up and delivers him. You saw how Daniel was faithful even, right, to keep on praying, to remain faithful. And he went into that lion's den and God delivered him. And throughout the book of Daniel, these kings are writing decrees to all the land to let everyone know that there is this one true God. And my assumption is, as these stories began to circulate, as this God who delivered like this, other people began to say, we want to know more. Now, listen, we don't know, but again, we might wonder, did they hear a story about a talking what? Do you remember what, what animal talked in the Old Testament? A talking donkey. Why bring that up? Well, one, it's an interesting story, right? I mean, how many of you ever had donkeys that talk, right? Come on. But what's interesting about that story is the statement that's made in Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. Listen to what Balaam says when he makes this prophecy, right? He's trying to curse Israel. God won't allow him to do it. But listen to what he says again. Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A what? A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of israel so again he's saying listen there's a star that's going to come indicating some type of imagery but even maybe physically there's a real star that's going to come this one is going to be look so look what he says back in verse 2 of matthew chapter 2 for we saw his star all right so again we have this statement of his star well whose star is it well it assumes that it's probably rooted on a text like numbers chapter 24 verse 17 The star indicates that it's worthy of being worshipped, right? Well, who's the him that they're worshipping? It appears that they're worshipping the one that they believe is the one that is the rightful owner to the scepter. He is the king. Now, again, we don't know all of this, but it's quite the possibility because they come from the east. That's where Babylonian exile would have taken them. That's where Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have done these great mighty works by the power of God. And that's where the king had wrote all these decrees to all the land to spread about that there's one true God over all gods. So it's quite possible that they hear a story and even though they have limited knowledge, they see this star. And again, it's a divine star. There's something supernatural happening. Nonetheless, it is a moment in which they acknowledge that it's His star. So these guys have come to worship him. Matthew sets before us the call right as he begins here in the opening two verses of Matthew to say, listen, this king that is coming is not for just the Jewish people. He's for everyone. This is good news. It's a scandalous to the Jewish people, but this is beautiful news to us who are not Jewish people. This God has come to rescue everyone. It's this great hope of the gospel. It's a celebration of Christmas. And in fact, by God guiding the Gentiles, it's clear that all people are invited to come and worship. And yet what we begin to find is those who knew this word best don't do it. Why? Because religion and great knowledge can lead to apathy. Religion and great knowledge can lead to apathy. You just don't care. You just listen to what he says. Watch what happens here. Pick up the new wood. Again, when Herod the king heard this, verse 3 of Matthew 2, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him and assembling all the chief priests. Now look who shows up. He's got the chief priests. All right, The chief priests are in charge of temple worship, temple activities. Okay. These are the guys that know it. Listen to who else he brought calls in assembling all the scribes. The scribes were the official interpreters of the Old Testament to say, here's the word of God. Here's what it is. Here's how you interpret that. Here's what it's saying. He gets the best of the best. And he acquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him Where? In Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah. Are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler. Who will shepherd my people. Israel. It's a beautiful moment. Of God. Using his people. Who have worked and spent time in his word. Laboring over it. To share with the people the truth. Of God's word. And then what's terrifying is what happens next in the text the chief priest and the scribes don't do anything they don't do anything right I mean Maybe that's you. you, you like know the answers in Sunday school, you show up consistently here in church, you're singing the songs, maybe you're even serving and part of a ministry here. And yet, let's be honest, deep down, you don't actually know him. I mean, think about this. Think about the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. This son, right? This father has two sons and the youngest son says, listen, dad, I wish you were dead. Give him my inheritance now. Dad gives him his inheritance. He goes out. He spends it on all this wild living, chasing women, living it up, partying. Guess what? Things go really bad. He gets broke, comes back to dad, thinking he'll be a slave. And dad forgives him, says he's yes again. You were lost, but now you're found. You were dead and you're alive. He puts the new robe on, the, the ring on, the sandals on his feet. And then the story interestingly ends by an older brother who's never... Never left and always done it right he's always been in church maybe we would say and he stands outside and he and the father have this brief dialogue and he basically says to the father i won't come in if you accept that kind of people and the story closes with him standing outside and the bible says back to all of us you are that kind of people we are that kind of people. All of us. Here's this moment. And whether it's in Luke 15 with the older brother, whether it's in Matthew chapter 2 right here with these religious folks who know the Bible inside and out, they are standing outside. They cite the Scripture, guys. They chapter and verse it. They Micah 5.2. Man, they're like, that's Micah 5.2. They know the Scripture. They're winning the Bible drills. And Jesus said, listen, when he talks about them, he says, these very words testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Religion and great knowledge can lead to apathy. Listen, they know clearly who they're looking for. Look back with me. You would Just there at verse two, the Jews the, or, or the 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 Magi are coming. Look what it says here. We have been looking for him who has been born king of the Jews, right? They're looking exactly for this one person. Now, it's interesting. The Senate in Rome had called Herod the king of the Jews for about 40 years, right? But listen to what happens, the difference, right? Listen to how they're following what the Magi are saying to them. What's happening? Look at verse four with me. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the what? the Christ. Some translations may render it Messiah. Look what they've done. They've connected this statement, King of the Jews, to say this isn't just a normal king. This is a statement about the Christ. This is the one that Micah chapter five, verse two is prophesied about. This is who the prophets have looked forward to. This is the Christ. This is the Messiah. This is this unbelievable moment. Why? Because the Messiah is the long awaited ruler. His is the kingdom that will never end. And listen, that's where it begins to get an issue for Herod. And we're going to see it in a moment. But guys, listen, we've got to realize today as we look at this text that worldly wisdom won't save you. Tim Keller notes that it's both inadequate and it's exclusive. Look, first of all, the wisdom of the world is inadequate. Listen, they have the right info. They have Micah chapter 5, verse 2. They know exactly where the Christ was to be born. He's to be born in Bethlehem of Judea, right? That's what it says right there, right here, back in Bethlehem of Judea. Why? Because for here's the reason why it was written by the prophet. They know. Listen, they know it. But it's interesting as they cite Micah chapter five, verse two, they stop there. Why? Look what Micah five, two says further for from you shall come forth for me. One who is to be ruler in Israel, who's coming forth. Notice the statement here is from of old, from ancient days. So this ruler that's coming, this one that's coming to Bethlehem. Is one that's God is eternal. Look further though. Look, I mean, they're, they're citing the verse, but they're missing it. Look, verse four, just a couple of verses later. Listen to what it says about this one that's coming. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great. Look what it says. To the ends of the earth. This God, listen, He is God over all. He is eternally God. This one that's coming is not just a mere ruler. This is not just any king. This is king of kings. This is Lord of lords. This is Emmanuel, God with us. What a moment. But listen, guys, we've got to acknowledge as we read this story that worldly wisdom, listen, following the stars, so to speak, is inadequate. We're reminded that even having the right information, knowing the scriptures and not acting on them is inadequate as well. You can have the scriptures before you. You can hear the word of God, but you, beloved, must respond. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ this day, this hour, this moment, that you might be saved, forgiven. What a moment. I mean, this is, this is the hope of the gospel. Secondly, not only is worldly wisdom inadequate, guys, it's exclusive. In our society, right, knowledge is power, right? I mean, if you have knowledge, listen, I mean, you have now opportunities to certain jobs that other people couldn't, doors open for you that other people could not ever get in because they have knowledge, they have degrees, they have this or that. And so our culture says to some extent, listen, if you're not as smarter, you don't rank up or you don't have that degree, you're on the outside. Yet consider this for a moment. Consider this. Who does God invite to come and see Jesus? Yes, the story here is the Magi, some of the probably the most gifted or intellectual people of that day. But Brother Todd preached last week in Luke chapter two. And who was it then that God showed that star in the field to? And they came. Who was it? Shepherds. So in that day, intellectually, God appeals to the, the maybe the some of the most intellectual folks at the end of the spectrum. And there's the other end of the spectrum. We have shepherds. Why? Because God is saying that Christianity is inclusive in this sense. Knowledge neither qualifies, and lack of knowledge neither disqualifies. All whosoever will may come. Do you see this beautiful moment? But the world would say to you, listen, unless you're on this end of the spectrum, your life's not important, it's not valuable. And the Word of God says, I have come that all who look to me may have life and have it abundantly. What hope! What kind of king is this? Beautiful moment. Why? Because Christianity says to all of us, we all share the same problem. And it's that God is holy and we are not. And our sin separates us from a holy God. And God demands payment for that sin. But beloved, the good news is this one, as the choir sang earlier, this one who came to the cradle also went to the cross and he dies willingly, not for his own sin, beloved, but for yours. That if you would repent and believe today, you would be forgiven and accepted Not by your own merit. No, no, no. His perfect life by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ Jesus alone is credited to you. This is a moment that reminds us that the wisdom of the world is exclusive, but God's word is inclusive in that he invites whosoever will may come. But the story shows us further that not only knowledge can lead to apathy. The birth of Christ can also stir up hatred that is within us, right? The, that, the coming of Christ may reveal the fact that you have hatred for God. Listen to what happens here, back in the text. Begin. Again, verse three, when Herod, the king heard this, he was troubled. That word trouble indicates agitated. Like, I mean, he's just sometimes it's using like in, in the in the gospels of like the wind and the waves, like tossing the wind about, like just being so stirred up like the ocean, the sea in the midst of a great storm. And he's just deeply agitated. And it says all Jerusalem with him. Look further with me, verse seven. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. now verse 12, the wise men have gone to worship at this point. And it says that they are warned in a dream not to return to Herod. They depart to their own country by another way. And then verse 16, when Herod realizes that he had been tricked by the wise men, he became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that had ascertained from the wise men. And we're going to deal with it next week, that text, and try to answer what's God's answer to evil and my pain. So I encourage you to be back here for that next week. But notice again, back in verse 3, that Herod is troubled. He isn't just concerned, right? There's a furious wrath that begins to break out because of this king, of who he is. Why? Why would he be so furious? Well, listen, Jesus is the true king, the true Messiah. He will rule and reign forever. And because of his rule and reign, he's a threat to Herod's power. And he's a threat to yours. If you think that you've got the rule and reign over Green County or the church or over the nations or you even be the president someday or you're the largest CEO, I don't care how you think you rule and reign. This coming king is a threat to your power. And Herod, listen, he begins. Why? Because if you mess with his power, you mess with his lifestyle. And that would listen when people mess with our lifestyle, that agitates our pride like who are you? Who are you to mess with my pride? Who are you to say you're going to cut in on my way of living? Who are you to speak in on my life like that? Listen, we need saving. That means our lifestyles, our feelings, our hearts are actually corrupt and evil and in need of forgiveness and redemption. This coming Christ declares that you and I are not okay. We're not. That's the Listen, our culture currently right now, this moment is in the midst of uh, this great challenges over all kinds of different schools of thought. One of those is this this gender revolution, right, that's happening. I don't know if you've heard recently, but I was reading just yesterday about this in the UK that there's there's a lady who lost her job for tweeting her views on gender. OK, and so listen to this after she loses her most recent lawsuit. Here's how she responds. All right, my Forstater. listen to what she says, my belief is that sex is a biological fact and is immutable. There are two sexes, male and female. Men and boys are male. Women and girls are female. It is impossible to change sex. These were until very recently understood as basic facts of life by almost everyone. Listen, these folks aren't saying that you can't even cross-dress. They're fine with that. They're just saying, listen, even if you do it, that man's still a man or that woman's still a woman, right? They're not even holding maybe to, to biblical Judeo-Christian values, they're just saying that there's biological facts that God created you in your mother's womb as either a boy or a girl. That's what they're saying. But listen to how the judge responded. Again, this is important why because what often happens in the UK, Europe begins a trend and the trajectory comes here to the Estados Unidos. So listen to what the judge says in his ruling. And I'm going to quote from his His name is Judge James Taylor. I conclude from the totality of the evidence that Forstater is absolutist in her view of sex and its core component of her belief that she will refer to a person by the sex she considered appropriate, even if it violates their dignity and or creates an intimidating, hostile, degrading, humiliating, or offensive environment. And listen to what she said. Listen to what the judge says here. The approach is not worthy of respect in a democratic society. Did you hear that statement? This approach, your view, if you hold to a Judeo-Christian view that God created you as either male or female, just as Genesis states, this judge rules that that view is not even worthy of respect in a democratic society. So I want you to realize, listen, the hatred of Herod, you may seem like that's so like early B.C. That, her- that hate still lives, and it lives and it's spreading vastly throughout our country and throughout the nations. But listen, we don't have to travel far. Come on, you know it's true. How many of you ever tried to correct a child in here? Whether it's your own child, child at school, whatever. They go pretty well for you. They like that? No, right? They don't like it, right? I mean, I had a conversation with mine. I'm like, listen, the reason why I'm compelling you to submit is because God's placed mommy and I in authority. God has. So listen, when you submit to us, you are ultimately submitting to God. You're submitting to God's authority as you submit to mom and dad. But listen, let's be honest. Most of us feel like God wants me to be happy. And what we mean by that is, guess what? We want ourselves to be happy. And we have a better view of true happiness than what God and his word have to say is true happiness. We've removed holiness from our Christian plates and instead threw a big heap of happiness on it. And we forbid anybody to tell us what we can and cannot put on our spiritual plate. And that even includes God and his word. So let's not hear from Herod and act shocked. Jesus coming reveals our own rebellion and need of saving. Yet. Despite all of this, there is hope. Joy is available to any who will come and worship the newborn king because worship is our rightful response to Christ. Listen to what happens here. After listening to the King, verse nine, I'm sorry, guys, it is warm in this bad boy. Whew, mercy. You guys that stay cold everywhere, you should be warm here, right? After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going to the house, they saw the child, Mary's mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Four things I think these guys reveal to us about true worship that I want to share with you today. First is this worship has to get right who Jesus is. We don't have it on the screen, but back in verse two, remember, they called him the king of the Jews. They are acknowledging his kingly authority, even if their knowledge of who he was actually truly was right is limited. They're still acknowledging he's king of the Jews. Guess what? This morning you've been making some affirmations. If you joined us in song this morning, you made some affirmations from your lips about who Jesus is. Listen to this. When we sang joy to the world this morning, you said these words. Are you saying these words? Joy to the world. The Lord is come. You said that there's actually someone. Jesus is actually the Lord of the world. In fact, you said that he is king of what? King of the earth. You now said the fact that your savior, who is Jesus, is actually reigning and ruling over all things. You made some pretty big statements about who this one king of the Jews is. Not only that, though, listen, when we sing angels we have heard on high, you sang these words, come adore what? On bended knee. In a moment, you're going to be singing that he's the perfect son of man, that he's the true and better Adam, right? That has come to save you and I, the hellbound man. Worship is ascribing praise to Jesus because of who he is. Listen, beloved, this morning, you ought to praise God this morning that you have a worship leader who is content or passionate about making sure the things that we sing honor and glorify Him. You ought to praise the Lord this morning that you're in a place where the the, the praise team and the choir are passionately wanting to sing songs that reflect and honor who Jesus is. You ought to praise God when Brother Todd brings a song from the offertory that reminds you and I of who Jesus Christ truly is. Because I'm going to be straight with you, that doesn't happen in every church. So when you count your little blessings... Don't forget the blessings of what you are singing and in this place. What we sing matters. It's this beautiful moment, right? I mean, unbelievable, beautiful moment. Secondly, listen, worship is a joy, not a burden. Look what it says back in verse 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced. Exceedingly with great joy. Matthew mashes up in the original language. He mashes his like four words. It's like this mashup that just all these words collide. He's like saying this is like the greatest joy possible. It's not just joy. It's like exceeding joy. It's not just exceeding joy. It's great joy. Right. It's not just rejoicing. Right. I mean, it's just rejoicing exceedingly with great joy. Matthew's doing everything he can do to you and I and say this one that we are worshiping is worthy of our joy. He's captured our hearts. He's overwhelmed our emotions. He's moved our spirits to desire to worship Him. It's this beautiful moment. Why? Because true worship finds its climax in Jesus Christ coming and dying in our place on the cross. Bearing our sin. Tasting death and separation from the Father so that we never have to. It's true and unspeakable joy. So worship is no longer a have to, but a get to. Third, Worship expresses itself in humility. Look what they do in verse 11. And going to the house, they saw the child with Mary's mother and they fell down and worshiped him. Notice there again, they fell down. I want to ask, when's the last time you knelt before the Lord? Seriously, when's the last time you got down on your knees? Could could we ask this question this morning? Is it quite, is it possible that you and I are hypocritical. If we're singing words, come, adore, on am bending knee. You sang a song this morning in this place compelling the world to come and bow before the king. And I want to ask, I'm, I'm loving it that we're singing it. But when's the last time that you bowed? Why? Because there's something that happens physically with our posture before the Lord. Right? They're bowing and the ancient Near, near Eastern, they often would touch their head to the ground. Right? It's a total prostrating, prostrating themselves before the Lord. Again, I realize that some of you that physically, that may not be able at this point in life, but for the vast, vast majority of us in this place, I want to ask, when's the last time you got down on bended knee? Beloved, if we're going to sing it, let's do it. You with me? Now listen, not to be a show with this altar. I'm saying, listen, get your kiddo. Go to the room. Bow in your bedroom. not have to be a show here. Never let what we do in the public exceed what we do in the private. Are you with me? That's a danger, right? Anytime that, and listen, I struggle with that. That's just being straight. I struggle with that. I am a performer, right? My mom's here. She can tell you I'm a performer from way back, right? The kiddos do stuff and Emily's like, I'm guessing that's exactly what you did as a kid. I'm like, that's what I want to do now, right? I mean, so listen, beloved, we've got to guard our hearts in this place. Fourth and last, look what it says here. Verse 12 and being, uh, verse 11, sorry. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts. Right, So they open their treasures, they offer him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. John Piper speaks on these gifts, and I want to just share briefly what he has to say. I thought it was powerful. The gifts are intensifiers of desire for Christ himself in much the same way that fasting is. When you give a gift to Christ like this, it's a way of saying, the joy that I pursue is not the hope of getting rich things from you. Listen to this. This is not the hope of getting rich with things from you. And I've not come to you for your things, but for yourself. And this desire I now intensify and demonstrate by giving up things. You're, you're intensifying your desire. You're showing in the hope of enjoying you more, not things. By giving you what you do not. It's not that he needs it. By giving you what you do not need and what I might enjoy, I'm saying more earnestly and more authentically, you are my treasure, not these things. This past Wednesday night, we had a time of fellowshipping. Acts 2.42 in there for the adults that gathered with us. And I was convicted. I was convicted by the fact that one of our babysitters is going to have a birthday party for Jesus on Monday and one of the families in our church talks about how they celebrate and give a gift for Jesus. And I, I've been convicted since Wednesday because i bought a whole lot of gifts this year for all kinds of different folks and I haven't got one thing I've really thought about for him. So I want to ask you, what's one gift that you've even thought about giving for him? We're consumed by online and Amazon and Black Friday and doing all this extra... I'm, listen, I'm guilty as charged... But I got to ask you today, whose birthday is it? Would it not be a shame to show up and give gifts for everybody else? How would you like it if it was your birthday party and everybody brings gifts for everybody else other than you? Now, Again, he doesn't need it. I'm not saying that. But I just want to know, what are you working to give him? What treasures? Maybe three quick applications. One. The nations come to Christ and we are to go the nations, right? Matthew opens up with the most unlikely people, the Gentiles. And guess what? He closes out his gospel in Matthew 28 by telling us, go then and make disciples of what? All nations. So these people come and see. And now Matthew ends by telling the believers, go and tell. So we are to go and tell. I want to compel you, listen, look around right now. There's people looking to the stars. They're looking to Google. They're looking to all the, all the different religions of the world. They're trying to find hope and peace. And yet, right here, you have it, and it's in Christ. Guys, are you sharing this gospel? Who's the last person you talked to about Christ, truly talked to? I want you to think about it right now. Is there a person? How long has it been? Guys, we've got to share this gospel. You college students have shared it with you before, but I want to encourage you, look it up. Go2years.net just compels you, right, after you graduate, first two years, and listen, you're going to find a job, you're looking for a certain city, God has birthed it on your heart, and you're joining a church, right? It could be in this nation, it could be amongst the, the nations of the world, but you're intentionally going, right? Again, you're taking a job, you're serving in that city, right? But you're giving your first two, two years to missions. I want to challenge you young people, just begin praying, even, right, as, as some of you, middle schoolers, high schoolers, elementary, intermediate, right, begin thinking, God, what might you have me do with my life? encourage you consider pray about that secondly guys this table is bigger than you've ever thought i mean listen i mean last week brother todd preached about how the shepherds came right the outcasts and now this week matthew tells us about these pagan astrologers that god is inviting people that nobody would expect to his table right i mean it's just this beautiful moment so listen i want to ask as god's table looks really right i mean you're um who is it sings big big house emily audio adrenaline back in the day right it's got a big big table with lots and lots of food right i mean the big big house lots and lots of room right big big yard we can play football i love it man it's like back in the day it's a long way back but anyway right listen nonetheless god has a big house a big table i want to ask you guys just be straight with you just for a moment come on i know every family we all got jacked up stuff in our families who's not coming that used to come maybe it's a cousin some of you got odds with brothers and sisters Some of you got odds with other people in your family. Listen, I, I'm just I'm just challenging you today. How big's your table? You need to forgive them. Don't harbor that hate. Christ came to forgive you. Listen, some of you, listen, you need to reach out, invite them again, compel them to come, go visit them, invite them. We want you to come this year for Christmas. We want you to be there. It may have been a lot of years. It may be a lot of dysfunction compelling you based upon Christ. I want to ask his table is big shepherds to astrologers and He body. And whosoever will may come. It's this beautiful moment. Thirdly, where's your treasure this morning? We're going to give our offering. Listen, do you know that 25% of languages are still without scripture? One in four languages do not have a copy of the B I B L E in their word. They can't read. it, It's not in their own heart language. As you give to Lottie Moon this morning, listen, you are helping Bible translators put that Word of God. Do you know that each day 155,252 people die daily without Christ? That's imagine everybody in Kansas City, Kansas dying or everyone in Clarksville, Tennessee, boom, gone in a single day to hell forever separated from God. Beloved, listen, this morning, I want to ask you, where is your treasure? How might you give sacrificially? How might you give joyfully this morning to help take the gospel? Why? You're empowering. Listen, our missionaries, $50 this morning helps provide language supplies for them so they can communicate the gospel in a language. Those people know $150 one month of in-country language study. You are helping to provide that. How might God move your heart this morning? Open the treasure of your heart and your pocketbook will follow. End with this. Here's the question that I constantly have to wrestle with and I constantly challenge other people to wrestle with. Why did Christ come? Why? And the answer has to be that there must be no other way to get to God. Then for him to send his only begotten son, that he would live a sinless life, born of the virgin, so no sin nature like us, that he willingly would go and lay down his life, taking your sin and my sin upon himself on the cross, paying the debt that we owe to a holy God. Why? Because there is no other way. That's why Christ came this morning. Would you repent and believe? Please, blessed friend, do not leave. Apart from this beloved Savior, there's no other hope for you. That's why He came. Please this morning, please know the joy of Christ. Be careful. Apathy will say, I don't need that. Hatred will say, I'm not, I'm not giving up my way of life. But there's joy in coming and submitting and finding That your greatest treasure isn't actually what you have. It's in Him. It transforms everything. Pray with me. Father, in the strong name of Christ, do the work that I cannot do in this place. Open eyes to see the hope of the gospel. I pray it in Jesus' glorious name. Amen.